We turn our attention to his word in February 2015 along the Po River in Italy. Uh, Dino Ferrari, isn't that a great name? Great Italian name. Dino Ferrari used a rod and reel to catch his record 280-pound, 9-foot catfish. One of the largest fishes on record caught with just a rod and reel. Now, imagine that battle for a moment, huh? Now, if you've ever fished or been around those people who uh, do fish, there's always the story about the one that got away, right? The one that got away. This one didn't get away. Uh, Dino got it. That thing is absolutely massive. But we've been learning over these last weeks that the book of Jonah is far more than one of the world's weirdest fishing tales, right? Uh, because usually we associate Jonah and the fish, and that's about all we get out of it. But you remember where we left Jonah in chapter 1 last week? Where was he? Getting there, right? Yeah, getting there. Getting there. They had thrown him overboard, all that kind of stuff. He was told to get up and go to Nineveh, uh, the capital of Assyria, and those wicked, nasty Assyrians that he hated with every part of his being. He didn't get up and go. He got up and went, the Bible says, in the opposite direction that God had asked him to go. So in order to get his attention and his focus back on God... He sent a storm that nearly swamped the ship that he was in. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip That started from this tropic point aboard this tiny ship The mate was a mighty sailor man, skipper brave and sure well, it was longer than a three-hour tour. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was... If not for the courage of the fearless crew. Okay, we got that. All right. (laughs) So here we find Jonah, right? Ship about to get swamped, refusing, if you have your sermon notes and would like to follow along, refusing to turn to God, refusing to ask for forgiveness, refusing to go to Nineveh to preach the good news to these people that he absolutely despised. So his stubbornness, his narrowness, his selfishness of the man of God of all things was so great, he would rather drown than obey God. He would rather drown than obey God. So Jonah tells the sailors, throw me overboard. Throw me into the raging sea. And this is where we left Jonah in chapter 1. So let's continue on our Jonah journey. Uh, We'll pick it up with the last verse of chapter 1. We didn't quite get there because I wanted to leave the fish out as long as possible. But at the end of chapter 1, we read, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, tons of scholarly stuff have been written by lectured learners, or learned lecturers, attempting to prove that it is possible for a human being to live inside a fish for that amount of time. It's even historical that people have been swallowed and lived inside of a fish. While I appreciate the volumes written on this topic, I choose to simply trust. We just sang that, didn't we? Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. I trust that this was all of God's doing, just as the Bible said. The Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, I think it's important that this is not just any random large fish that swallows Jonah. 
catch that because we're going to come back to this in chapter 4 when we get there. The Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. God himself picked the fish. It was the right size fish at the right time so that he could live in the belly of this thing for three days and three nights. Some think it's a whale. Some think it's some kind of other fish. Uh, the wording in Hebrew is not clear. So just as God had arranged this huge storm to get Jonah's attention and turn him back, now God arranges for a great fish to swallow him to save his life. And this is the story of Jonah. So I, I wonder, what's the big deal about believing this? What is the big deal? Now, uh, some who are outside of the faith uh, struggle with this story, and that's why many would consider it simply a spiritual allegory of sorts. Uh, a human being can't live inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And I don't even go to that argument. I don't think it's necessary because this is the same God who on the third day raised his son from the dead and declared him to be alive. Now, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ upon which I base everything that I believe about Christianity. The fact that Jesus went to the cross, he came out of that tomb after three days, three nights in the tomb and showed himself to be alive. If I believe in the resurrection, believing the Jonah story is a piece of cake. Let's major on the majors. What's really at stake here, it is who is Jesus and did he do what he said he would do. Now we noted in our last lesson that the pagan sailors prayed while the man of God, the mighty man of God, pouts down in the hold of the ship. In his pride and pig-headedness, Jonah refused to turn to God. He refused to pray, to make his connection with God. And prayer is simply that. It's a dialogue between two people in love. He refused to enter into that relationship. Now, chapter 2 begins with Jonah finally praying. But where does he pray from? Ah, the location's important, from inside the great fish. Then Jonah prayed the Lord his God from inside the fish. What follows, and the focus of today's teaching, are the words of Jonah's prayer from the belly of that fish. I think it's important that we read the word of God together as a congregation. Reading the Word of God together is very important. So let's stand together out of honor and respect from the Word of God. Sometimes I always, I get confused as I've shared with you before. Why do we always stand to sing and sit when we listen to Scripture? I don't get that. In the Old Testament, it's kind of reversed. You always stood in the reading of the Word of God. And uh, anyway, that's a whole different conversation. It's cultural Christianity. Is it okay if we stand and read the Word of God together? We do this out of honor and respect for the Word of God. And in these words is the very life of God, if our ears are attuned. Okay, so let's read together. Jonah said, I cried to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. Let's keep going.
Yes. Great job. Thank you. You may be seated. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. So, what we want to do is focus on the prophet's prayer. I think it's very, very important, uh, the context of this prayer. Now, it's said by military folk that there are no atheists in a foxhole. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. When your back's against the wall, you hope that there's somebody up there, right? And so we all turn to our gods in those moments of great distress and we cry out, there's got to be something out there larger than me. So Jonah turned to God when he was, as the scripture says, in great trouble. When he was in great trouble, he turned to God. Now, sometimes for those of us that follow Jesus, this becomes difficult because we turn to all other places rather than prayer when we get ourselves in trouble. When we find ourselves in trouble, we try to fix it, we try to figure it out, we try to come up with the answer ourselves, and rather than turn to God in prayer, we attempt to do what only God can do. And is this not what James said when he wrote, is anyone among you in trouble, let them what? Pray. Is any one of you in trouble, let them pray. Now, think about this for a moment. Trouble should be a normal part of the Christian's experience. Jesus said, in the world you will have. So why do we try to avoid trouble and make our life as trouble-free as possible when Jesus promised us that would be the normal operating procedure for life in this world? We do everything we can to get out of trouble, to stay out of trouble, to keep our life trouble-free, problem-free. When Jesus said, in the world you will have Okay, uh, my particular opinion, all God's children have trouble. All God's children got trouble, right? Anybody here trouble free? We all got troubles, right? And the important thing is not what happens to us because we're going to have troubles, but what happens in us in our response in those situations. And so Jonah gives us a tremendous example. In his great trouble, he prayed. In his great trouble, he prayed. I have to remind myself again and again and again. First thing I need to do is pray. Not when there's nothing else left, but the very first thing that I have to get in the habit of doing in my life is to turn to God in prayer to give this thing to him the moment that it hits. Now, it took Jonah a while to get here, didn't it? Long while to get here. Just like it takes you and me a long while to get there sometimes. But praying. God still hears the cry of a troubled heart. He is listening, I believe in particular, for the person with the broken heart, the troubled heart, the heavy heart, the weary heart, and his ears are attentive to their cry. He loves to hear our cries in trouble. He's listening to our cries for help. So the sailors had thrown Jonah overboard. Okay? Now, in your mind's eye, visualize this with me because Jonah's kind of recounting his prayer from the belly of this great fish. Uh, what happened? What happened? So in verse 3, we can see Jonah on the surface. He's gasping, choking for air as he's buffeted by the wind and the waves. The waves are crashing all around him, right? Now, Cindy and I have had the uh, privilege of scuba diving in Bali, Indonesia, and in the Similan Islands, uh, some of the great dive sites 
in the world. And uh, we've been on the surface and sometimes it gets really rough. And even if you've got scuba gear on, you're like, whoa, boy, this is, uh, this is pretty tense. This is pretty intense, even though I can breathe. I can't imagine Jonah being thrown out into the middle of the ocean and there he is just floundering. I don't even know if he could swim. Doesn't say, right? At any rate, he goes in. Whoop. Womb. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Next in verse 5, he starts to sink. I sank beneath the waves. So he's up here struggling, paddling around, trying to stay alive, right? Now, how does that work with they threw him in and the storm stopped? I'll get to that in a second. All right. So he starts to sink. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me and then seaweed wrapped itself around my head. So he's sinking down, down, down into the ocean until finally in verse six, he reaches the sea floor. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. In other words, I'm going all the way down, all the way down. Finally, in verse 7, Jonah is drowning. His life is slipping away. He knows he is about to die. And as I consider uh, ways that I don't want to die high on my list, I don't want to be eaten by sharks and drown. Okay? That's right up there. Right up there. I don't like that idea at all. But this is where I believe the great fish came and swallowed Jonah. Right at the last moment. Just before his death. Right there at the brink. Right on God's time, in other words. Boom. It hits. But check out Jonah's downward spiral. I got a kick out of this as I've looked at these words. Uh, verse Chapter 1, verse 3. Jonah got up and went to the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. In other words, as far away as he could get. But all this time Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. Then in verse 8 of our text, Why is this awful storm, or chapter 1, came down on us, they demanded. And I sank down to the heart of the sea. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. Jonah's going down. He is going down. Down, down, down. Started with the decision that I'm not going to do it God's way. From that point, he is going down, right? And sometimes we make decisions in which we get into the elevator of life and we hit LL. That's below the basement. That's the lower level, right? And we're going down, down, down. Maybe there's an area of our lives right now. We're going down. We're going down. It's a relationship. It's our finances. It's a habit. It's whatever it is. But we're on the downward spiral. We're going down here. We're going down. And sometimes you have found, I know, and you would agree, that we just got to hit bottom before things will look up. Sometimes we have to go all the way down before we can see our way clear. And all too often, good-natured people are trying to interrupt God's downward spiral. And we rescue. And we try to do this. And we try to do that. We try to help people. And we're enabling them. And sometimes we got to just let people crash and burn. We just got to let them go because they're on this path. And this path is leading to something that's God-sized. But if we interrupt what God is doing in that moment, we're short-circuiting a plan that will eventually lead to their rescue. Think about that for a moment. Now, going down, this is the trajectory of some of our lives this morning. We're in free fall, but we forgot our parachute. And the ground's coming up really, really fast. And we're going down. We sense that. We sense that in this area, this spot in my life. What am I going to do? 
Well, in the belly of the great fish, Jonah finally gets it. The light bulb goes on. Boom. And the alarm goes off in his head. Aha! I get it. I get it. Woo! Okay. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what happened in Jonah's head, but we can kind of picture that, can't we? He finally wakes up. Here's the turning point for Jonah, the man of God, the prophet of God, the runaway from God, the one who is very much like me in many ways in his life. Now, in the Christian Missionary Alliance, in our theological platform and foundation, we would call this a crisis experience, a crisis experience. The word crisis simply means a decisive turning point. And in our spiritual journey, we sometimes come to a fork in the road. We can choose to go God's way or choose to go our way. Now, these are in the big things of life. We call it a crisis experience. It is a decisive turning point that will then determine what's going to happen next in our lives and in our walk with God and in our homes and in the rest of our lives. It is called a crisis experience. I can think of four or five major crisis experiences in my life where I had to determine what I was going to do. Will I do what God asked me to do or will I go my own way? Jonah is now in a crisis experience. It is a decisive turning point in his life. What will he do? He makes finally, finally a good choice. And in verse 4 he decides, I will look once more towards your holy temple. And you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Where did he find himself when he finally got to the lower level? Where was he? In the pig pen. In the pig pen. And then in Luke 17, he came to his senses. It wasn't until he got to the pig pen that he came to his senses. That's exactly this moment in Jonah's life. He comes to his senses. He finally wakes up. Oh, I think I get it now. I think I get it now. And he says, I'm going to look toward your temple. That was a Hebrew phrase, an expression used at that time, uh, meaning a person who is willing to turn back to God to surrender their lives to him. God, I quit. I quit trying to do this myself. I surrender to you, Lord. So once again, he turns from his own path, which had led him far away from God and into the belly of this great fish. And now he's at the bottom of the ocean and he's near death. And he says, God, I'm going to do it your way. Why are some of us so stubborn that that's what it takes before we finally do it God's way? Why is that in us? I know it's true of me at times. So what was it that brought Jonah to this point? Another translation says in verse 7, when I had lost all hope, when I had lost all hope, then he turned toward God's temple. When I had lost all hope, only when we understand the depths to which we have finally sunk and we look around and we say, you know what? I'm in a place I never thought I'd be. What am I doing here? Why am I doing this? What's going on in my life? I need to wake up. Only when we understand the depths to which we have sunk will we be ready to seek God's help and deliverance when he offers it to us. Our eyes must be open to the destructive reality of our spiritual situation before we can finally say, God, I'm going to do it your way. Okay, okay, it's not working out so well my way. I'm going to do it your way. And sometimes it takes a Jonah-like event to wake up from our spiritual slumber. Sometimes it takes this Jonah-like event 
to wake up from our spiritual slumber. Sometimes it's a very serious life-changing event that will challenge our spiritual direction so that once again we will seek the Lord. And that's all he wants is for us to seek him with all of our heart. That's all he wants. And maybe it's a near-death experience that forces us to reconsider the direction and the trajectory of our life. Maybe it is a death. Maybe it's a death of someone close. Maybe it's a death of a dream that you've had. I've always wanted to do this. I always wanted my life to be like this, my marriage to be like this, my home to be like this. Maybe it takes a death before life will come. The death of a dream, the death of a relationship, the death of a hope, the death of an expectation. Something's got to die before it will live. And like Jonah, sometimes we have to die before life will come. But here's some really good news. It's never, ever too late to turn back to God. Isn't that reassuring? It is never, ever too late to turn back to God. Now, you know that Jonah had a complete Jonah had at this point completely rejected God's call and plan on his life. He had rejected God to the point he'd rather die than obey God. God used a variety of ways to call Jonah back. Jonah, Jonah, turn your life around. Come on back. Come on back. And for each of us, God is constantly putting reminders in our life. Come on back. Come on back. He's constantly inviting us back to his presence, back to that love relationship. It was not too late for Jonah to return, and it's not too late for any of us to return. And it, because I know in the back of our minds, uh, we're thinking something quite differently. It's not a matter of how rebellious have been, how rebellious that we become, or how far we've wandered away. That's not the point. And the enemy's constantly driving that into us. You're no good, you're a failure, never be all that garbage that he's constantly throwing on us. It's too late, you can't come back. That's not true. This is about how much God loves us. This is about how much God doesn't want us to wander away on our own path, knowing the pain and suffering that will come if we don't follow his ways, which are right and filled with hope and peace. Now, I'm not saying when we choose God's way, everything is going to be fantastic. In fact, there may be unchanged circumstances not a single thing will change outwardly in our lives but it's all a matter of what happens in our hearts when jonah prayed that he was still in the belly of the fish and then he gets vomited out how fun is that right right now god could have delivered him but there's consequences to our actions always but something changed in jonah's heart that would change everything about his life and he said god i surrender i'm going to do it your way Jonah recognized it wasn't too late. Even when his life was passing before his eyes, even when he was about to die, he knew there there was still a way out, and he turned to the Lord. God heard Jonah from the fish's belly. Awesome. He can hear you and me from anywhere at any time, and he's waiting for us. I wonder, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? And as the Holy Spirit moves among us, he'll put his finger right on that spot in which we've been just slightly rebellious. Attempting to do it our way. In that relationship. In that 
circumstance at work, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our own spiritual journey with God. We constantly try to take back control. And God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, right here. Trust me in this. Trust me in this. Surrender this. Surrender this. Watch what I can do. I've been faithful in the past. I'm going to take care of this too. And there's some here this morning, you're in deep water. And you know this thing's going down. It's going down if we continue this way. It can't happen anymore. And so I'm saying God is waiting for us to turn back to him. It's never too late to turn back to God. Turn again to him. He's waiting there, not with arms crossed and a scowl on his face, ready to discipline you. He's waiting with arms wide open, those nail-pierced hands, waiting to embrace us again with the love that's found only in Jesus, with the forgiveness that says, I surrender, Lord. I want to do it your way. Here's my life, Lord. Take it. This situation, take it. I want it to be yours, Lord. I want it done your way, Lord. And watch what he can do with it. Watch what he will do with it. Can we trust him? He's listening to the troubled heart right now. Calling out to him. Help. I'm drowning here. I'm drowning here. Help me, Lord. I'm confused. I don't know what's going on, but I choose to trust you. Will you do that? Let's take just a moment before the Lord in silence and rethink where we are with Jesus right in this moment. And what area he's speaking specifically to us about right now. And he's speaking words of love. And it'll always sound something like this. He'll say your name first. And then he'll tell you something about himself. And he's not going to tell you what to do and how to fix it. He's going to tell you about who he is and how much he loves you. Listen for his voice now and what he's saying to you. Friends, in a posture of prayer, could it be that the storm that's hit your life recently, the one that's blindsided you, 
a storm that threatens to break up your ship, maybe even to drown you. He's actually God's tool to drive you back into his arms. Jonah got it. And he said, my salvation, that word literally means rescue. My rescue comes from the Lord alone. first love time to surrender it and do it his way oh how he loves each person oh how he loves our church in all churches that lift his name friend receive that love that he paid for on the cross <laughs>